This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. My name is Rod Elfernis, and I'm Dean of Engineering here at uh, UCSB. And on behalf of the entire College of Engineering community, the faculty, the students, and the staff, I'd like to welcome you to this celebration to honor Professor Suji Nakamura receiving the 2014 Nobel Prize in Physics. Thank you very much for uh, joining us to share in the excitement and the campus pride that this, the sixth Nobel Prize for UCSB faculty, brings to this campus, and to honor Suji for the great work that he has done. I'd like to make a very special welcome to those of you who are coming from off campus. Suji Nakamura is professor with joint appointments in materials department and the electrical and computer engineering department within the College of Engineering here at UCSB. He's also co-director of the Solid State Lighting and Energy Electronics Center, for which he also was one of the founding directors. The Nobel Prize in Physics for 2014 was awarded jointly to Suji, to Samu Asaki, and Hiroshi Amano for the invention of the efficient blue light-emitting diodes, which has enabled bright and energy-saving white light sources. I believe that the Nobel Committee has captured well the discovery as well as, very, very importantly, the huge impact of this very important work on humankind. We in the college are extremely proud of Suji and the great work that he has done in discovering the power of the semiconductor material gallium nitride to produce blue light when current is passed through it. You can imagine the excitement and sense of pride on campus the morning that we heard the great news. We enjoyed a very, very wonderful toast. We are also very proud of the work that Suji, in collaboration with colleagues on campus, have done over the last 15 years to move from the discovery of possibility um, of LED to the commercial viability and availability of LED lights that you can now find at Costco in, in big abundance. And that when fully deployed, when LED lighting is fully deployed, will substantially reduce the electrical power required for global lighting. That spirit of collaboration, as well as the entrepreneurial spirit that drives our faculty here at UCSB to to applications that positively impact people's lives, so evident in this story of gallium nitride and LED lighting, is in fact a hallmark of our campus more broadly and a huge advantage for all of us. A few words about today's program, which is intended to be both informal and also celebratory. The centerpiece, of course, is Suji's lecture. Prior to Suji's lecture, we've asked Suji's close colleague and co-director of the center, Steve Denbars, who is also a member of the materials as well as the electrical and computer engineering departments, to provide his insight, the story on the impact of Suji's early work, Uh, discovery, and on the recruitment of Suji to campus, um, as well as to speak to the huge impact of um, solid-state lighting and power electronics that this technology has made possible. Then Nobel laureate Herb Cromer will offer his insights of Suji's work and its scientific and practical impact. Interesting, 
Herb's work on double heterostructures, for which he received the Nobel Prize in Physics in the year 2000, has been an important element in Suji's work. Before asking Steve uh, to come to the podium, a couple of announcements. First, I want to thank Teresa Pollock, Chair of the Materials Department, and Joao Hispania, Chair of the Electrical and Computer Engineering um, Department, for their help in organizing this event. A very special thank you to the staff of the College of Engineering who have worked very hard at very short notice to pull this off, and a special thank uh, to Britta for all her work. And now, if you will please mute your cell phones, um, and I'd just point out that following Suji's lecture, there will be plenty of time for questions, and then following that question session, we will invite you to join us on the patio for a reception. Again, we are all delighted to have you join us for this celebration. Steve. Thanks, Rod. I'm Steve Dembars. I'm uh, co-director of the Solid State Lighting and Energy Electronics Center, along with Suji. He's been a close colleague here since 2000. And I was asked to talk a little bit about the background story of Suji and, and recruiting him and, you know, kind of even how I met him uh, and then got him here to this campus. Uh, but then I'll talk a little bit about the impact. So just a couple minutes, but give you a little bit of a flavor for what it was like back in 1993 um, when I'm working on, on red LEDs. This was my specialty. Uh, we only had the color red and a very dim green. And you'd only see these LEDs for the red circle in the traffic signal or the taillight in your, your car and maybe in a calculator. So the field was very small, maybe fewer than about uh, a few uh, thousand workers worldwide in it. And I, I was doing a sabbatical in Japan, and I went to a conference about this size in Japan. And Suji came, and he gave a lecture in which he showed these blinding blue lights. Uh, you know, they're in even they're much brighter um, in, nowadays than the white, but it was pretty bright. And after the lecture, nobody went up to congratulate him. And there's been this huge breakthrough because Japanese people are a little shy. So. Me not being shy, I went up to him immediately with my business card and gave it to him, and, and he's, nobody was taking him into coffee, so we sat down and, and started talking. But he was very modest and open, and, and I told him it was a great you know, result. Uh, subsequently, many, many people jumped into this field. At the time, there was only three researchers working on the material that he, he got this blue light with, which then led to this white LED uh, revolution. Within a span of about three years, the number had jumped from three people to about 3,000, and today there's over 100,000 people employed in this industry. So that's you know, kind of amazing to see from a very small group of people that you can build something very big. Anyway, so um, that's 1993. Go forward seven years. Uh, he's still the leading researcher. Seven years later, his company had moved from nowhere in LEDs to the number one LED company, uh, over a billion in sales in a fairly short time span. Uh, and, and I saw him again at a conference, and he says, you know what? What do you think about UCLA? I just got this job offer from UCLA. And I just like about fell out of my seat because uh, I didn't ever think he'd want to leave Japan, A, and let alone become a professor. So I said, well, UCSB is much better than UCLA. <laughs> uh, moreover, um, he had some colleagues uh, that, that were, my colleagues were also his friends, uh, uh, Professor Umesh Mishra, who's sitting here in the second row, and Jim Speck. Uh, and, and I said, look, if you come to UCSB, you'll have a very uh, a good team to work with. And in the end, you know, 
uh, he got 10 offers from not only companies, but, uh, but from Stanford and MIT. And UCSB built him out because I think what, what Rod said is true. We have a very collegial atmosphere here, and we were able to offer him a, a welcome family, a research family to come into. Uh, so that was the story of his recruitment and why we beat out all these other great universities. But the story doesn't end there, obviously. Since coming to UCSB, Suji has built up the largest academic center in the world, along with our colleagues. Uh, the uses for his, this material, this LED, has spurred from basically, or spanned from just a simple light bulb. Flashlight was the big thing driving it first to LED TV. So when you go to Costco now, uh, you see these big LED TVs. That's all backlit with these uh, LEDs, white LED inventions. Uh, then there's the uh, the light bulb, obviously, that we're seeing now, widely deployed traffic signals. And then, of course, everybody has a, a smartphone in their pocket. Well, it turns out all the lighting in your smartphone, uh, unless you have a Samsung, is, is uh, gallium nitride LEDs. Uh, however, if you have a Samsung, it's organic LEDs, which is a, another Nobel Prize winner's here's invention. So we'll talk about that another time, hopefully. <clears throat> Uh, so, so that's what it's spanning now, but it's even more broad than that. So gallium nitride, this material that only these three people were working with, and Suji finally took it and enabled uh, this revolutionary product, is now affecting many other industries. Uh, my colleague, Professor Mishra, has uh, subsequently spun out a company that's doing power electronics, and there's now, I think, 20 companies working on the field of power electronics. That's not switching light, but what it's doing is it's switching energy, particularly uh, alternating current to di- direct current electricity more efficiently than what you could do with silicon. That has the potential to save as much energy as LED lighting. Speaking of energy savings, uh, just in the United States alone, the Department of Energy estimates that in the next 15 years, we will save $98 billion in electricity just due to those LED light bulbs you see over there. That's just the United States. And that's the equivalent of 50 power plants. Uh, in the United States in 15 years from this invention. So this is a a really big energy savings, uh, and and that's what the Nobel Committee uh, realized. Again, he just keeps plowing ahead. He's filed 150 patents since coming to UCSB. Uh, He's working on the next greatest thing, we think, which is laser lighting. But more importantly, he's helped educate and graduate over 50 PhD students. And like I said, from uh, just a few researchers, it's now hundreds, uh, a thousand people working in this field. So I'm real proud to have, have witnessed this, this huge uh, success in, in the field of material science and electrical engineering. So I guess I got to thank Suji for my job. So thanks. <laughs> and and now some words from Nobel laureate Herb Cromer. Rod doesn't have the foggiest idea what I will be talking about. (laughs) Uh, Although we are celebrating today, uh, I think many of you know that the actual award takes place on December 10th. In fact, it always takes place on December 10th because this is the anniversary of the death of Alfred Nobel. He died almost 120 years ago in 1896. And when the executors of his will opened the will, they found to their surprise that he had dedicated most of his fortune to be turned over to a foundation and that the income from that foundation should be used to support three annual prizes. One of the prizes was in physics, and uh, the Nobel's own specifications for this prize were very simple. To the person who has made the most important contribution to uh, 
innovation and 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 in and, and, and to and, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry about this uh, uh, to concepts and, and in, in, to in, and invention and of course the question is with a specification like this. Uh, who is going to make the toys? And Nobel specified this one. Yeah, let the Royal Swedish Academy of Science select both the winner for the physics and for the chemistry prize. And that was to the great surprise of the National Rec- of the Royal Academy because they had never heard about this one. But they eventually agreed, and so they apportioned uh, the role to one of their classes, to the so-called physics class. The Royal Academy consists of ten classes. Physics is one of them, chemistry, uh, engineering, and there's a total of ten. And so the physics class was given the job to pick uh, the winner in the physics field. Now, of course, these were all professors at physics at various Swedish universities. And uh, so it is very clear that there was right from the outset a very, very emphasis, emphasis uh, on research discovery. That, that, that's the word I miss, discovery and, 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 and invention. Uh, and so this then persisted throughout most of the 20th century. And if you look at the various Nobel Prizes of the 20th century, almost all of them deal with discoveries. Uh, there are a few... Uh, inventions, but most of them uh, are inventions of scientific instrumentations. In other words, they were part of. They were not part of society at large. They were part of the of the research community. There was one important exception, and that it was the 1909 Nobel Prize to Marconi uh, for invention uh, and development of the wireless telegraphy. And if you think about this one, this was a huge change. It suddenly changed the entire communications procedures throughout the world. You could suddenly get a message from Europe to America or from America to Japan or the other way around uh, within a fraction of a second rather than having to put it on paper and sending it by a boat, which took at least a week and probably two. And so this is an important idea here that in, uh, invention qualifies for a Nobel Prize, uh, even if physics, if there's a minimal amount of physics involved, qualifies for a Nobel Prize, if the impact on society at large becomes the dominant consideration. Uh, and throughout the rest of the 20th century, the, the next 100 years or so, uh, the, the next 90 years after, Marconi. Uh, there was no other, is no other example of this kind. Now, I myself was at the, in the 80s or so, in 90s, working on heterostructural bipolar transistors and a little bit on heterostructural lasers. And I remember that around that time, some of my colleagues were wondering whether I would qualify for one of those prizes. And I never took this very seriously, which incidentally was very, very good for my mental health. Uh, and uh, I, my answer was, well, they don't know the rules. Uh, there are no such things as Nobel Prizes in applied physics. Uh, what I had failed to realize is that in 2000, they changed the rules. Uh, and the best example is not the prize to me and Al Ferriff, but it's the prize to Jack Kilby, 
who had come up with the first integrated circuit. And if you think about this, there would be no computers without integrated circuits. And in fact, our entire electronics industry wouldn't exist without integrated circuits. So here was another one of those examples of where the invention made a huge impact on society at large. And so, so that was it. Uh, so the question that one naturally asks, well, was that 2000 an isolated case, uh, or was that a, a new idea? And I remember talking to somebody who was a member of the Nobel, the, the Nobel, the, of the Academy, and he agreed with me that this was something different from the past. And when I asked him, well, is this a new direction or is that an isolated case? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> and uh, now at that point, it was very clear to me that there was one potential candidate uh, for that fall in that category of changing civilizations, changing society at large. And that was, of course, the blue LED. Because once you have the blue LED, you realize all the other things. And I don't want to repeat what Steve already has said. It was an obvious case, the only question. And I, it was clear to me through some indications that the Nobel Committee was actually thinking about this one. But of course, they think about a lot of things. Uh, the majority of the people about whom they're thinking do not get the prize. Uh, and, uh, and the question then is, of course, well, who would get it? And there were some people, some school of thought, well, the first person uh, who actually worked with gallium nitride and showed that it can emit light, which was Jack Banker at RCA, uh, should be uh, on the list. And I never took this terribly serious because, because it was an isolated case. And I don't think Jack Pankoff took it very seriously. I know him quite well. Uh, then, of course, all right, it's just another LED. But you see, all the other LEDs did not have that society-influencing property. And so it was clear to me personally that if the Royal Academy would choose uh, the blue LED, it would go to those people who had made that decisive breakthrough that uh, made it possible uh, to, cre to create from blue light any color of light. Uh, and uh, this is, of course, eventually what did happen. To me, me personally, it was very gratifying because, in fact, sometimes I think it's a, it's a second prize for myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, not only because it involved heterostructures, but there's another reason why it was very gratifying. When I came here in 1976, I came here with a plan uh, I had recommended to the leadership here at UCSB to totally forget about silicon technology and to put all of our emphasis into the new field of compound semiconductors because I was convinced that compound semiconductors would someday become important. And if there was a lot of doubt during many years whether this prediction was right, I think the event that we're celebrating today shows that this prediction was, in fact, entirely correct. Thank you very much. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce the 2014 Nobel Prize laureate in physics, Suji Nakamura. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you, please. <laughs> it's okay. uh, thank you so much uh, for coming here today. At first, I, I'd like to thank you, Hendy, uh, Chancellor Hendy, but today he's not here, so I'd like to thank you, Deering. <laughs> she's not uh, Chancellor today. Thanks so much. So because uh, since I came here, always uh, Hendy said, I'm uh, your manager, you know, <laughs> to receive no Nobel Prize in the future, something like that, you know. So uh, I'd like to thank you, uh, Hendy, a lot. Also, next, I'd like to uh, Dean Rott uh, to organize this lecture. Thank you so much. And also, I'd like to thank you, Steve Denbers, Mesh uh, Mishra, and Jim Speck, and because uh, uh, we worked uh, together for the S uh, new, new center of solid lighting energy uh, electric center. So always we work together to develop uh, gallium nitride-based devices. Uh, thanks so much. Also, I'd like to thank uh, uh, Professor Hub Kromer. He invented heterostructures, you know, and uh, he uh, received the Nobel Prize by invention of heterostructures in 2000. Without his invention, you know, we cannot make any devices, any heterostructures, uh, any device, like uh, we, we cannot make LED laser diode without his invention. His invention, great. Also, Mesh Mishra is developing a power electron device. Without his invention, he cannot make uh, his power electron devices. His heterosexual, you know, we have to use all kinds of us, we have to use his invention. So thank you, uh, Professor Habkron. <laughs> Without him, we can't do anything. This is different. I don't know. Sorry. Uh, uh, this is supposed to be right here. There it is. Okay. 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 Thank you. Okay. So today uh, I'd like to talk about, uh, you know, about my invention. How could I, I invent blue LEDs? And uh, so this is my title: Invention of Blue LED and the Laser and Source Lighting. So this is the outline of my talk, of what is a LED, just introduction. And before gallium nitride, uh, zinc selenide based, based material was very popular to develop blue LEDs. And the next is uh, gun on sapphire, because uh, you know, current uh, blue LED is grown on sapphire substrate. And number four is why is the in-gun LED so efficient? Because when we grow gallium nitride on sapphire, huge number of dislocation means a huge number of crystal defect. In spite of a huge number of crystal defect, blue LED is very efficient. It's amazing. It's a miracle material. That key material is indium gallium nitride. So. And the next is uh, impact of basically application, you know, impact hybrid in-gun, indium gallium nitride-based LEDs. So introduction. So, so material is gallium nitride. So using gallium nitride, I could invent blue LEDs. But this material is used for LED, also uh, power electron devices. Uh, you know, here, Professor Mishra should make a uh, uh, very good power electron device, you know. <laughs> also, he started his own company. Also, Steve mentioned, we are expecting the next writing should be laser-based writing. So we expect a lot for laser writing for near future, instead of LED lighting. Also, this material also is a uh, solar cell or the thermal electric uh, devices. So this material is used for all kinds of devices. 
So right now, the biggest market is LED. You know, LED is already still mentioned, no? LED is for solid lighting and uh, decorative lighting, also automobile headlamp and uh, indoor lighting, and uh, so also agriculture, you know? So space agriculture, they're interested in the LED lighting, and also all kinds of mobile devices. Mobile devices have to use LED lighting because mobile devices is only power supply, battery. It means the battery only operation board is three volt. Only LED can operate you know, battery. So that is the reason why LED is used for all kinds of you know, mobile, uh, mobile devices, iPad, iPhone, all kinds of you know, devices. So also, uh, this shows the evolution of a man-made light. So long, long time ago, you know, 1500, uh, 15,000 BC, you know, oil lamp. Uh, but uh, this is the efficiency of LED, higher the better, so uh, 0.1 lumen power. Efficiency is very poor. And uh, 19th century, you know, light, uh, light bulb, the efficiency is only 16 lumen power. But 20th century, uh, fluorescent lamp, efficiency is much higher, 70 lumen power. This is the efficiency, you know. And now, 21st century, now recently, you know, one company, American company, Korea, announced a 300 lumen power using LEDs. So we change much higher, you can, how, how, you know, so using LED, you can save a lot of energy. So what is the LED? So a light-emitting diode produces light of a single color by combining a positive and negative charge, uh, negative we call electrons, inside the crystal. So basically, this is a battery, you know, battery supply electrons, and the hole in the hole is a negative, uh, you know, hole, this one. And so electron hole recombine in the active layer, and we can observe the photon emission right up. So this is a basic structure. So basically, we need N-type layer and active layer and P-type layer. So in the case of gallium nitride, missing layer was P-type layer and active layer. So this is for nitride, you know, so garment-based LEDs, missing layer is P-type layer and active layer. So, so basically, we could develop the P-type layer and the active layer. That's the reason why we received Nobel Prize this year. You know, so very simple. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is uh, also real LED. So basically, we for, for, here you can see substrate. For substrate, we use sapphire substrate, sapphire. And uh, this is thin layer is gallium nitride. You know? N type gallium nitride and active layer is indium gallium nitride. And uh, P type P type gun is uh, you know here. And the uh, size is 0 0.4, 0 0.4 millimeter. It's small, small. So this is uh, you know development of. Uh, Red, uh, blue, and the green LED. So in the 60s, you know, Professor Nick Koroniak of University of Illinois developed uh, red LEDs, you know, first time. And the efficiency of red LED increased gradually like this. You know, now almost uh, 100 lumen part. But the missing color was blue and green. So since uh, 60s, many science researchers had to try to develop blue and green LED, but nobody could make it. But uh, I could invent uh, high-efficient blue LED in 93, also green LED is uh, 96. And now three primary colors available. So using three primary colors, we can make all kinds of colors, including white, any kind of color, this way. So you have seen LED TV, because LED TV needs three primary colors. So they can, the reason why they can now make 
uh, all kinds of uh, TB. Also, this shows the luminous efficiency, lumen part, and efficiency as a function of years. So these are conventional writing. So conventional lighting, fluorescent lamp, halogen lamp, you can see that. So these are conventional lighting. Already technology is saturated, no more improvement, because technology, no more improvement for the technology, you know. No more, we can't find any more technology. But this is LED lighting. You can see LED white lighting. You can exponentially increasing, because this is a semiconductor technology. We can automatically, you know, control everything, you know. So, so right now, you know, already Kuri announced the 300 lumen power, you know. So you can see how efficient using white lighting for the, you know, for lighting. So next, uh, backdrop. <laughs> Two six versus three light in the late 80s. So, so I started uh, Blade research in 89. Uh, 89. So in 89, you know, there are two materials to make blue LEDs, two materials. One is zinc selenide, and another one is gallium lighters in 89. And uh, in the case of zinc selenide, people could use gallium arsenide substrate to make uh, blue and green LEDs. See, these are blue and green. And because in this case, that mismatch is almost zero. Means uh, no crystal defect using this gallium arsenide. No crystal, perfect crystal. But in the case of gallium nitrate, there are no lattice match substrate. Only available substrate is sapphire. But lattice mismatch is uh, 16%. Means huge, when you grow gallium nitrate on sapphire, huge number of dislocate, huge number of crystal defect. Number of dislocate is order of 10 to the ninth. But this one is almost a perfect crystal. So that's the reason all, all of people selected zinc selenide to, make, to develop blue LEDs. Only few, few people selected gallium light. Those people are crazy at that time. <laughs> it's a true story. I'm not joking. Crazy. Uh, no, so you can say this is a gallium nitrate grown sapphire. This is a dislocation, crystal defect. All the number is all the 10 to the ninth. So at that time, nobody expected we can make blue, high efficient blue, nobody, almost zero in 89. So this is in 89, zinc selenide versus gallium nitrate for blue LED. So zinc selenide on gallium arsenide, you know, high crystal core, dissolved density is less than 10 to the third. And uh, very active research. Almost 90, 90% of the researchers worked for this one. And uh, also gallium on sapphire, poor crystal, this is the order of 10 to the next. This is a number of crystal defect. Uh, number of research are less than 1%, you know. Also, so there's a, in Japan, there's a big uh, applied physics conference in Japan. It's called the JSAP. In 92, you know, I attended this conference. For zinc selenide session, number attends more than 500. More than this audience, number is more than this audience. But in the case of gallium nitrization, including a session chair and speaker, <laughs> less than 10, including me. I'm not joking. Small room, not this. For this session, session, this size of a room, but the gallium nitrization is small, tiny, tiny, you know. You know and so 
activate this guy. So Garmin has, at that time, people say Garmin has no future. Garmin people have to move to 2.6. This is a, you know, common sense at that time. Also, another thing, in 89, so in my case, in my case, you know, in 89, I started Garmin to research. So the reason seeking to, <laughs> so in my case, why I selected Garmin Light means I wanted to get a PhD degree because, um, <laughs> My degree on the, I received on the master degree from the uh, University of Tokushima. And uh, I went to University of Florida one year from 88 to 89. And I learned in the United States for science, most important is a PhD degree. If we, we don't have PhD degree here, uh, on the technician, no? So I learned in the United States, most important is a PhD degree. So after I came back from the uh, University of Florida in 89, my dream was to get a PhD degree. So if I select two six, uh, zinc selenide, there are tons of paper. So I never, so I expect I cannot publish any paper, you know. But, <laughs> but if I select the gallium nitrate, basically no paper. So even if any result, I could write in some kind of papers, you know. So, so you know, in Japan, if we can publish at least five scientific papers, we could get a PhD degree. It's called a P, uh, paper degrees, you know. <laughs> Yeah, true. So my degree is paper degree. You know? <laughs> so, so that's the reason why I selected Garmin. I never expected I invented Bruel. Never thought I could invent Bruel. Just uh, my dream was to get a PhD degree. You know? It's a true story. <laughs> and uh, also, my company was a small company, and almost the budget is uh, almost zero. <laughs> and the research is only me. Uh, so, no. No future, no. So I never expected. Also, another thing is a uh, big thing is that uh, in 70s, 80s, so LED means you know we need dislocated density less than 10 to the south. This was common sense. Common sense. It's amazing. When I attended the conference, each con every conference, all of the scientists working how to reduce a dislocated density less than 10 to the south using gallium arsenide, indium phosphorus, all kinds of common sense Because in order to make LEDs. It was common sense. This is distance of 10 to the south. So that's it. All people selected zinc selenide. A lot of paper there. You know, you can read a lot of paper in order to make LEDs. This is less than 10 to the south. All paper said It was common sense. So that's it, you know. If we select the gallium it was crazy, crazy, very crazy. You know? <laughs> so, so next is the story. Gallium light take off. So. So basically, for first gallium crystal grown by uh, Dr. Maruska uh, of GE at that time. So he made the first gallium crystal. So he did a great job. I expected he could get Nobel Prize, but uh, I don't know why. <laughs> but, you know, he did a great job, you know. <laughs> and uh, also, he made the first blue LEDs. Uh, you know, this is a first blue LEDs. And, uh, you know, in 73. And, uh, but uh, he couldn't make P-type galerimeter. Just uh, instead of P-type galerimeter, he used insulating layer, insulate, semi-insulating layer. So we call it MIS, mis-type LED, no? No P-type, N-type and uh, insulating layer. And metal contact, we call metal insulator semiconductor, mis-LED. But anyway, this is LED too. And uh, so in Japan, you know, 86, you know, uh, this is a, Another Nobel laureate, uh, Professor Amano and Akasaki, they made, uh, uh, they could make the very high quality gallium nitrate 
experiment for the first time using aluminitride buffer layer. Sometimes we call it nucleation layer using aluminite buffer. So without aluminite buffer layer, surface is very rough and uh, there are cracks on the film. There are cracks. But using aluminite layer, you know, it's uh, surface very smooth and mirror-like and no crack. So also another breakthrough is uh, Professor Amano and Akasaki in 89, they could make first P-type aluminitride using uh, electron beam irradiation treatment. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, electron, low energy electron beam tra treat, treatment. Treat, treatment. And uh, so this is a P-type, just a P-type, but the whole constant is very small, but the resistance is very high. But they could show the beautiful uh, uh, LI curve. So this is uh, like a real PN junction uh, dial. But they couldn't uh, observe the electroluminescence because uh, it's very, very dim. This is gallium nitride. Because, uh, you know, I told you, if gallium had grown on sapphire, huge number of dislocation, order of 10 to the 9th. In that case, no emission, basically. You know, so, but they got Nobel Prize. So their research is up to here, no more, but they got Nobel Prize because uh, they <laughs> demonstrated fast, you know, P-type layer, you know, also fast layer. So next is um, my, so in 90, so 89, since 89, so after, before their invention, P-type gallium so almost one year ago, I started the gallium research. And uh, so in my life, this is the most important breakthrough for me, because uh, I started a uh, uh, nitride blue LED research in, at the beginning of 89. And initially, I purchased a commercially available MOCBD. This is MOCBD, the crystal growth uh, reactor. We, ha we can grow gallium nitride using this MOCB. It's a, just a reactor, no? And uh, initially, I purchased a commercially available MOCBD. It cost two million US two million. It's very expensive. And I tried to grow gallium nitride, but uh, no growth. Even if they are growth, color is black. If, uh, you know, good gallium nitride crystal means the color should be transparent, but black. And uh, so several months I worked for the commercial-based MOCBD, but uh, no result. So, so, so after several, several months later, I made a decision. I have to modify the, this MOCBD. So, so why I started the modification, and uh, almost I had to spend almost uh, one and a half years to, mo to modify the commercial-based MOCBD. At that time, it's crazy. In the morning, every morning, I modify the reactor, and every afternoon, I uh, did a growth, almost uh, four round or five round. Every day I did this pattern, same pattern. In the morning, I, made, I have to modify the reactor, and the afternoon, I have to do the growth. I continued almost one and a half years, and finally, I could develop this uh, two flow MOCBD. And I did, so, and, uh, I did a gallium lighter growth without buffer layer, and uh, I measured the whole, whole mobility, and the mobility was. Uh, Best in the world. Best in the world, I mean, better than, higher than the Professor Akasaki Amaral's Garim Nitride, you know? So that happened in 91. And, uh, and next, I tried to grow buffer layer. So Professor Akasaki and Amaral use aluminite buffer. So I work for a company, you know? I have to care about the IP, you no know, patent. So I have to use different technology. So I use the Garim Nitride buffer layer. And uh, I, you know, and uh, obtained a very high crystal quality, and the mobility is uh, 
you know, highest ever reported. So it means the crystal was the best, you know. So I could publish a paper, you know. And the next is uh, P-type gallium nitrate. So Professor Akasaki and Amaro developed the P-type gallium nitrate using the electron beam. But in my case, just uh, I use thermal annealing. You know, initially high resistivity, but uh, just using the thermal annealing, uh, ambient gas is, should be nitrogen. Now, using nitrogen ambient thermal annealing, I got the P-type gallium nitrate. Initially high resistivity, but using just a summary, uh, it became P-type. So, and also I did another experiment. So initially P-type gallium nitride, and this is annealed using ammonium ambient gas. And in that case, resistivity becomes semi-insulating. And, and this sample is annealed using, by changing nitrogen ambient, this one became uh, low resistivity. So just changing the ambient gas, this resistivity is reversible from this ammonia, ammonia ambient gas, nitrogen ambient this is you know, reversible. So I guess something is you know, into the crystal or outside the crystal. And also, I guess you know, atomic hydrogen is related to this phenomenon. So, so I found the hydrogen is a, atomic hydrogen passivated the magnesium acceptor. So, so I proved the hydrogen passivation is called the whole, whole basin mechanism. You know, so because uh, this is a big mystery, because Maruska started the gallium crystal, you know, in 69, since, since 69, nobody could understand why people could not P-type gallium nitrate for 21 years, to almost 21 years, no? But I could, you know, clarify the origin, the origin of the whole composition mechanism using hydrogen passivation, so, you know. So this is, uh, <laughs> This is a Professor Chris Pandeva's, uh, he's also a professor here at UCSB, he's a paper, so he also theoretically, uh, you know, clarified hydrogen, you know, hydrogen passivated magnesium, you know. So this is uh, another big breakthrough. Also another, for me, big, biggest breakthrough is uh, indium gallium nitride area. Because this is a key material, I told you. So when you grow gallium nitride, huge number of dislocated density. Only this indium gallium nitride shows a strong emission in spite of a huge number of dislocation. But nobody could grow indium gallium nitride until I could grow high quality indium gallium nitride. So in 92, I, grow, uh, I could grow fast, you know, high quality indium gallium nitride, which shows a strong blue and, uh, this is a blue and violet emission, also green, green emission. So, you know, this is most important. And so, so indium gallium is a, can be used for emitting layer. So, so indium gallium is sandwiched by P-type gallium and N-type gallium But in this case, aluminum gallium but the same, it's the same as a gallium So it's called the double heterostructure. Double heterostructure, so double heterostructure because <laughs> have chromas invention, no? We have to always use double heterostructure. So using uh, these double structures, you know, deep structure is possible only using indium gallium nitride and gallium nitride, you know. So the indium nitride is key, and uh, at power is uh, 2.5 meters. This is a high brightness blade. So Steve mentioned in 1994, uh, I demonstrated this blue LED at the conference, and uh, Steve said, oh, it's uh, <laughs> something, you know. Yeah. So, so this is, uh, you know, uh, Nobel Prize Foundation citation of our, uh, of our invention. So, so they copied uh, my paper, you know. This is uh, 
this is the zinc doped inga and then type argon pita. So this structure, they copied this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. And so, yeah, whole. And my invention is I told the P, uh, P type layer, active layer, and uh, you know. So the reason why, you know, I told you, you know, only among all, among uh, nitride based material, only indium gum nitride shows a very strong emission in spite of a huge number of dislocation. Still, we don't know e exact reason. But uh, one possible explanation is uh, uh, done by Professor Chichibu. And his idea is uh, there is a localized state in the indium gallium nitrate layer, you know, localized state like this. And uh, so electron and the hole is, is injected in the, into the emitting layer, and, the, and those electron and the hole is rather uh, recovering at this localized state before they are captured to, uh, you know, uh, non radiological center caused by crystal defect, means dislocation. So th this is a dislocation, no? But the inject carrier cannot reach this location because they easily capture to the, these localized states. So the idea is in the in the in the there are lot of you know huge number of localized states caused by. In this case, we say uh, phase uh, phase separation, but uh, still we don't know exact reason. But anyway, uh, most expa possible explanation is that there are localized lot of localized states in the in the gramnite area. So you can see this is a normalized uh, emission efficiency as a function of dislocation, number of crystal defects. When you grow gallium nitride on sapphire, dislocation is 10 to the ninth. You can see only indium gallium shows a strong emission, you know, strong efficiency, high efficiency. As a material, gallium nitride, no emission. As a composite, no emission. I told you, so this is a in 70s, 80s, common sense. Because if there are huge numbers, no emission. But uh, when we use indimical nitride as emitting layer, you know, intensity is very high. So that is the reason why, luckily, we could uh, invent blue LEDs. And also, initial LED, we didn't use a quantum wear, but in 95, we made a quantum wear blue, green, yellow LEDs. So this, uh, you know, this is uh, now a basic structure for all of uh, commercial available LEDs. There is a quantum wear active layer and, uh, you know. And also we could develop a fast demo, uh, develop violet laser diode. So this is a laser diode, you know, this, uh, this is blue laser diode. So basically in uh, 96, we could develop fast uh, laser diode. Key is uh, indium gallium nitride much quantum wear for act uh, active layer, you know. So this is a history, you know. So you can see, you know, basically, Akasa, Professor Akasaki Amano developed a high quality ground using an aluminum buffer. And in 1989, they developed a fast P-time using low energy activity. Uh, their result, only this one, and they got Nobel Laureate, Nobel Prize. You know, <laughs> in my, so fast, you know, what I want to say, that for fast is the most important, no? Fast time, fast time. You know, they need a fast time, and in my case, you know, uh, I started uh, gallium nitride researching at the beginning of 89, and uh, I got to the first crystal using buffer layer, gallium nitride buffer. So everybody uses gallium nitride buffer because crystal is better than gallium nitride buffer, you know. But the later than their result, you know, fast is most important, you know. 
And next, Peter, I got Peter using summary. All of the company use summary to get to obtain Peter. But the later than their invention, no? Yeah. Nobody is a low energy electron beam relation, but the fast is very important to get a Nobel Prize, no? Also, I made uh, Ingan there. This is the first time, Inga, my case, no? Nobody could make the Ingan. This is a key material, no? To make uh, all kinds of everything device. In the, in the, this is a key, you know? And uh, so it could develop all kinds of devices, blue LED, violet laser diodes, CW, green, and white. Uh, yeah, so because uh, it could invent the uh, first ingan layer. Ingan is a key material. So this is another contribution to, to our high-efficient blue LEDs. So you can see sapphire, sapphire. This is, uh, you, know, you know, sapphire, substrate. And the buffer layer. So Akasaya uh, developed aluminum buffer 85. I make a gun rubber, but uh, later than they are, you know. And uh, <laughs> Peter Gramet, they use electron beam 89, but in my case, uh, just uh, summarily, and uh, I clarify the hydrogen participation as a, you know, as a whole compression mechanism. But the most important uh, finding in our case is just the intimigalmate emitting layer, because without this layer, nobody can make any emitting devices. This is the key, because uh, Interface, there's a huge number of dislocation because galimite uh, is a is, uh, mismatch with a sapphire, you know, because a huge number of dislocation, dislocation is order of 10 to the 9th. Without the ingan layer, no emission, integral layer, no emission. So integral layer is a key material. And so, so initially, I told you, initially, you know, this is a published scientific paper, PIA. So, uh, you know, before nine, 95, zinc cyanide paper is much larger than galimite, but now galimite paper is much larger, no? So impact, uh, a bright future with galimite LEDs, so energy consumption, significant reduced electricity need worldwide. So this is uh, California. So electricity consumption in California by end use for, you know, so how electricity is consumed in California, you know? Basically, lighting consumes uh, 35% of, of electricity consume, consumption in California. 35%. And uh, so this is the latest DOE report. You can see, you know, DOE studied the effect of the LED. So 46% electricity saving in 2030, you know, using, uh, you know, LEDs. And the save is uh, 250 billion, billion US dollars from 2010 to 2030 alone. This only in the United States. It's a huge, you know, you can say, huge energy reduction, you know. And next is uh, solar powered LED lighting. Uh -uh. So you can see that, so third countries basically uh, no electricity. You can see, you can see this is uh, this region is a uh, 75 percent no electricity now, and this region also next. So one in five people on the planet live without electricity generally because they are not connected to the grid, grid poverty and politics. Both can influence the way countries shape their grid infrastructure. So basically, no electricity means uh, no lighting, no lighting, and uh, so they have to use a uh, kerosene lamp, no kerosene. Two billion people rely on fire, kerosene, candles for indoor lighting. 
it costs a lot because uh, they have to spend uh, one quarter of their salary on lighting alone. Also, kerosene caused a fire, you know, very dangerous. 2.5 million people, you know, in India along suffer uh, severe burns due to fire because kerosene will cause fire, you know. It's very dangerous, you can say. Also, health hazard because uh, they have the carbon and the carbon dioxide, they have, you know, uh, respiratory disease. So you can see this is a testing of the kerosene uh, lamp. You can say in five minutes, this becomes black due to carbon. It's not good for health, you know. Also, fire problem. But uh, now using uh, solar cell plus battery plus uh, white LEDs. White LEDs can be operated battery, you know, I told you. Operating board only three volts. And the uh, battery is charged by solar cell daytime. And nighttime, you know, battery can operate white LEDs because of three, only three volts required. So this is basically mobile lighting, you know, mobile lighting. So bringing off-grid lighting to the developing world, you know, really cost. Also, cost is very cheap because uh, solar cell plus battery plus white LED, I, I don't know how much, probably John Bano, $10? I don't know, <laughs> how much now? <laughs> $10, yeah, around $10. So $10. So by just investing ten dollars, uh, system solar cell plus battery and white is uh, lifetime is uh, at least two or three years without any maintenance. It's very cheap. But kerosene, you have to buy every month. You have to buy kerosene now. So it's very cheap. Payback is only just six months. Every cost less than kerosene on an annual basis, and the payback is just six months. Allows education also at night. So using this uh, LED uh, lamp, you know they can study, you know. In the few months, we have had the white LED lamps, the improvement in the children's academic performance has been absolutely remarkable, you know. Headmaster Barak, you know. And uh, this is an NPO of United to Right, you know, supported by John Bauer, you know. So, you know, this is an NPO, this, you know, eliminate kerosene lighting along with its health, safety, and carbon dioxide problem. High-risk compact lasers with solar cell. You know? So basically, uh, here there is a battery, uh, battery inside, and the, he, this is a solar cell. So daytime, this solar cell charges the battery, and the nighttime, this uh, battery, you know, operates the LEDs. So clean energy, no kerosene, no fire, no health problem, and uh, lifetime is at least two or three years. Just the investment, ten dollars, and no maintenance for two or three years. It's clean energy. So this is very popular for, for South countries because uh, very cheap and very safe. You know, they can study, you know. Also, LED save lives too. So day after noble announcement, very sink at, at night in Taiwan. Taiwan, you know, very sunk at night. And uh, life-based equipment is LED. So this LEDs, life jacket equipped LEDs. And uh, this night time, so, so this life jacket always emitted the light using LEDs. So nighttime, you know, either rescue team could point to the who was there. No, everybody swimming on the on the sea, no. But the nighttime, no, without LED, nobody can find who who is over there, no. But uh, luckily, they all the jacket has a LED. They turned on, and easily they, they could find where the people there. So, so rescue team did 43 lives. You know, as aid help to rescue, you know. You know. So Chancellor Hendian came to me, you know, yeah, when I got to know right. Do you know this news? You know, in Taiwan coincidence, you know, it really helped a lot of people, you know. <laughs> and you know, so excited about this news, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
So this is uh, a member of the Solitista Lighting Energy, uh, Electric Energy Center, and uh, we are working for the next generation Solitista Lighting, especially we are right now focusing on uh, uh, next generation laser lighting, because uh, right now, LED lighting, but we expect the laser lighting is the next generation lighting. So all of here people are working on next generation lighting. Also, Mesh group is working on the uh, power electron device. Also, also power is gradually becoming popular. Using uh, garment based power, we can save a lot of energy, almost same as uh, LEDs. So, you know, okay. That's all. Thank you so much. So we have some time for a couple of questions. There's microphones up at the front. Please uh, come to the front and if you have a question. First, congratulations. Uh, when you were working on this, or you, the passion to actually carry on and invent from 1989 on, did you really realize the impact you were going to have on energy and health and, and so forth? Did, was that in the back of your mind that this was going to have such a big impact on, on society? No, I, I, I never expected. Uh, because uh, at the time, you know, only available color was only red for LED, red color. And just I wanted to invent the blue and the green LEDs. That's it. Because blue and the green are available, I expect we can make any kind of colors. And also we can make LED TV, full color, something like that. So I never expected that if change of blue LED become very high like this, you know. Because, uh, uh, so I never expected this, this uh, huge market, huge, you know. Because uh, I never expected that because if change become so high, because uh, I told you, uh, Defect density is, you know, 10 to the 9th. 10 to the 9th, you know. Oh, when I made the first piano junction LEDs, you know, piano junction, gallium nitride, P-type, and P-type gallium nitride, N-type just piano junction, no intim gallium nitride. And uh, I operated the LEDs, but uh, very, very, you know, so, uh, tiny, tiny emission. But uh, I worry about uh, the lifetime, because this uh, is 10 to the 9th. 10 to the 9th, the lifetime is very short. Immediately die, LED should be die. And I tested, uh, reliability tested, lifetime testing. And, uh, you know, I started uh, lifetime testing today. And the next day, I came to my office. I checked the uh, LEDs. Still, LED surviving. Uh, that is uh, amazing. That was 92. So, you know, basically, I never, at that, I never expected. And, but after invention of indium gallium nitride, you know, suddenly, emissions increased. And that happened in 92, 93. 93, you know, I say, oh, there are some huge market because it's so bright, you know? Yeah. So basically, good eyes, good eyes. You know? yeah. Any other questions? If not, Suji, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.